1952, the New Yorker magazine published an article about Chicago and mockingly titled The Second City. Who could have foreseen the irony that the publication that was started by and published the great wits of their day, Dorothy Parker, Alexander Wolcott, James Thurber, and George S. Kaufman, would end up christening the greatest incubator of comedy talent in showbiz history? In 1959 on North Wells Street in that famed second city, for the price of $1.50, you could watch a revolution. The second city has written and rewritten the history of comedy in America since 1959. It has been creating comedy and comedians whose influence would reach far beyond the walls of the theater into American culture. Beyond being a laboratory for modern improvisation, they've also set the standard for contemporary satire in America and Canada. But they're best known for the countless comedy geniuses who have cut their teeth while working for the Second City. From Alan Arkin to Bill Murray to Tina Fey to Tim Robinson and on and on. The list of comedy giants with ties to the Second City is seemingly endless. On the Second Citizens podcast, we interview alums of the Second City stages about their time working at the theater. Friendships made, lessons learned, both good and bad. And we set out to chronicle the formative years of our comedy heroes before they were household names and try to get to the beating heart of an institution that thrives on creatives, but has been consumed by the corporate world. I'm Joe Canale an alum of the Second City Chicago, and I hope you'll join me as we talk to these talented Second Citizens. between the Second City and Saturday Night Live was forged with the original cast and continues through the current cast and everyone in between. There have been dozens of Second Citizens over the years who've moved from Wells Street directly to Rockefeller Plaza and a couple who actually went from SNL to Second City, believe it or not. And we may even actually talk about that in a little bit. And you know all the big names, Aykroyd, the Belushi brothers, Radner, Chris Farley, Bill Murray, Brian Doyle Murray, there's so many. Mary Gross, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, Tina Fey, Rachel Dratch, Vanessa Bayer, Cicely Strong, A.D. Bryant, Jason Sudeikis, Mike Myers, Tim Kazarinski, and many more. Now, out of all of these, there is one who looms large not only for staying on the NBC Comedy Bowl for eight seconds, but for riding it for ten years, longer than any other alum of the Second City. And if you haven't figured it out, I am talking about Tim Meadows, who's our guest today. And I also realize podcasts have the name of the person on it, so they will have figured this out a long time ago. Moving on. Now, a cast member for the entire 90s, Tim spanned eras of the show's history, including two of what many, including I, would consider to be golden eras of the show. He is one of a select number of SNL alums to have a character turned into a movie with a ladies' man, a satire on sexuality that I would say is as relevant today as when it came out. Again, maybe not the radio part. It would be a podcast today, as everything is, but... SNL was just the beginning, uh, as since those days, Tim's genius comedy contributions have included appearing, as far as my count goes, at least once on every sitcom that made it past the first season over the last 20 years, <laughs> stealing the show while live acting with a cartoon that wasn't there for a full season of Son of Zorn with, uh, you know, Ted Lasso, the darling Jason Sudeikis. He was playing a cartoon in that. Mm -hmm. And you, you acted against nothing for that, which was very impressive. Thank you. As well as some plum film roles. Uh, we all remember Principal Duvall and Mean Girls. But my personal favorite, 
is the drug-addled drummer, Sam McPherson and Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. That's the one I connect with somehow the most. Now, just because Tim's constantly in demand for Hollywood productions doesn't mean he can't still find time to get back to his improv roots. In fact, his Wikipedia entry lists him as still performing at a number of improv theaters that no longer even exist. I'm still there. He's still there. Now, as for the theaters that do exist, if you've never been to a Second City show, first of all, shame on you. But anyway, on most nights, uh, there's an improvised third act of the show where there are often guests, sometimes famous, who join the cast for some bits while the theater tries to squeeze out a few drinks to the crowd. Now, it's often the most enjoyable part of the evening, at least for the cast, especially when someone the crowd knows and loves joins you on stage. And it was during one of these sets at the Second City, which is where I had the pleasure of meeting Tim Meadows for the first time many, many years ago. And now that I have finally inserted myself into the story, we can now start the interview with one of the greatest, truly, my friend Tim Meadows. Thank you, Tim. Woo! Woo. Boy, thank you. Yeah. Joe. It's so nice of you. Oh, man. I could have done a much longer one, actually. But again, that would have then started incorporating me more, and, yeah. you know, we don't want that. Well, you know, you could have incorporated more of my career before I met you. You know, there's a lot of stuff sure. happened. There and were a few things before me, I guess, in your career. Yeah, and then after also. Yes, there were, to there were things there. after me, too. Yeah. I, I, it's amazing how that happens with people, that before and after they meet me, their lives continue. Mm -hmm. I don't know where I stand on that, but I, I appreciate you bringing it up. I have that. I'm like that with uh, uh, girlfriends, women that I've dated after, since I've been divorced yes. or whatever. Every woman that I've dated that I've broken up with... Yep has done better either in their job or their relationship with other men. You know, I... I Married kids. Yes. Happily living in the suburbs. I think women do better with breakups than men initially. Because yes. I think... I, I just think, you know, like... And I, and I don't I don't even know what the science behind that is. But in my experience as well, mm -hmm. it just seems like <laughs> they bounce back better. They just move on. They, <laughs> they, they, they move up, at basically, they move up. for me. Yes. And I, and I just want to say copyright on that movie idea, because I think I'm going to write that Absolutely, as a movie. you should. All <laughs> material in this podcast is, is the property of Tim Meadows. That was one of the uh, writers coming in. Yeah. So uh, this is, this. you know, again, we could talk... Honestly, we could we could just talk about fun stuff that have happened to you in improv shows, but this is concentrating on your Second City years, and you did do some time at the Second City. Yeah. And so uh, let's just get into how did you find out about the Second City? Because you went to Wayne State in Michigan, I believe. Right. And uh, so you're in. Were you living in Detroit before Chicago? Yeah, I was. I lived in Detroit. I was going to Wayne State, uh, and I was a comedy fan. I was a nerd, and I was a big fan of SNL and uh, the Second City TV program. Right. And so that was when I first learned about Second City. Uh, was uh, it was really from listening to National Lampoon records, and then connecting. Yes, doing the connecting the dots and, yeah. and saying, oh, like these people did this, and they studied there. And uh, and so that got my interest going in, into like you know improv and uh, and back then so. those those names that you mentioned you're right National Lampoon was made up of the same people who are on SNL which was the same people who are at Sec it was a smaller kind mm -hmm. of comedy world so you mm -hmm. could put those pieces together what did you do improv in Detroit I did yes where was that that was at a place called the Soup Kitchen Saloon and another place. Um, Fourth Street Playhouse, I think it was called. Um, but like, I was introduced to improv through a man named Jonathan Round, 
who took a, a weekend course with Dale Close in Chicago. And he brought the teachings of Dale Close. Sure. Or, and or just, as he understood them. Yes, exactly. As he understood them. And uh, he sort of taught us how to do a herald. And he also taught us basic improv, you know. And, and so it was really great that I had met him because when I moved to Chicago, I didn't. I already knew how to do a Harold right. for like a couple years, which nobody really in the town. If you didn't work with that man, Del Close, he right. was the one who quote unquote invented it. It's, right. it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because you're probably talking about the mid '80s, late '80s, maybe in Detroit. Right. And I, I assumed that most improv before you would get to Chicago was like short form and games and stuff. I didn't know that even at that time. And I guess that's how long form kind of spread is someone would go to Chicago, mm-hmm. take an, a workshop with Del Close, exactly. or he would go somewhere else. Exactly. And then whoever that person would take whatever they remembered from that and take their version. You know, it's like religion. Yeah. So whatever you were getting was secondhand anyway, yeah. but it still was a lot, enough that when you got to the Mecca of Chicago, you could say Harold, mm-hmm. and people were like, oh, this guy knows what that is. Yeah. So you exactly. come to Chicago, and do you meet Del Close at that point? Was that your goal to kind of work with that guy? or? Yeah, I mean, my goal was really, I mean, my overall goal when I left Detroit was to either, um, I just wanted to become a professional actor. Um, Not yeah. comedy specifically, just? No, I mean, I loved comedy, and I thought, well, here's a way of learning how to act. If I can learn how to do improv, and you know, you learn how to act, and you learn how to um, inhabit characters, and you learn how to create scenes, you learn how to, r- learn how to write on your feet. So, yeah, I mean, that's basically, I, I, I was like, I want to be an actor. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I'll tell you this story. I'll make it sort of long. I'll, I'll make it short so we can keep this yeah, whole yeah, podcast short. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, I saw a story about Jonathan Round in the free, Detroit Free Press or Detroit News. It was on my birthday. And I forgot exactly what year it was, but... I read this story and, I, and it said he was going to be teaching classes. He already had a um, group of people, including Mark Beltzman, who you might know. Second City alum. Right. And they were in the photos in the story and it was all about improv and they doing this, this long form improv thing. And so I went and took the classes, you know, and um, I loved it, kept doing it. Uh, Jonathan asked me back again to, to like take more classes and he put me on stage, blah, blah, blah. And then... At one point, I said, and this was within that same, like, six months or whatever. I said, I think I'm going to be an actor. <laughs> and I'm going to follow this thing for a minute, you know, and you see what it bug. takes me. Yeah, yeah. And so I said, I'm going to seriously do it for five years. And then if I'm not making money at it at the end of five years, I'm going to quit. I'm going to come back to college and continue becoming an ad yeah, do, a- advertising. You would have been in the NFL or the NBA or something like that if you decided to pursue one of those. Or drugs. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little mix. Maybe a little mix. You don't have to, you know, you can do all of those. Um, but I was not in the rap game. I just want to right. tell you okay. that. Okay. I knew personally I was not a rapper. Sure. But I could definitely sling some drugs and shoot some I mean, hoops. Absolutely. Like, whatever. Rapping is a tough skill. Yeah. Uh, it is a tough skill. You know, why does, you know, no uh, African-American kids think of NASCAR as a way means out of the ghetto, which no. is weird. Well. Because we drive fast. You can drive fast. True. 
yeah, you know you what I'm saying? You can drive fast, but there's also, I mean, it, less than a year ago, there was a noose in a garage <laughs> in NASCAR. Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, there's that. So, so, so there's the, I mean, that, maybe that is a deterrent for some people. Yeah, yeah, I uh, got you. Uh, but, but yes, you're right. Um, I'm sorry, I mean, karma. No, well, that's okay, that's okay. This is an A, uh, what is it, uh, A... What's this? This ASM or the the sound stuff? Oh, ASMR. Is yes. That it? Yes. Well, this is also for ASMR people. So okay. yeah, we'll have three or four minute crunching interruptions mm-hmm. in the middle of this. You have to guess what I'm eating, what I'm crunching. Yes, I could go into a huge thing about sports and why who d- plays and doesn't. Yes. I'm not going to do right okay, now. Okay, let's go back to what we were talking exactly. about. Exactly. Um, what was it? You in Chicago meeting yeah. Del Close. I think that might be an interesting. Yeah. If not the meeting, but working with him. Because I assume you worked with him before Second City. Uh, yes, I did. I, I did. Um, so I, when I got to Chicago, I lived with my friend from Detroit, Richard Label, who was also an improviser. In yes. Detroit. And so uh, we had an apartment in right down the street from Second City. And then we, I just signed up to take classes with Dell. And of course, it was Sharna's classes first. Okay, so it was there was an Improv Olympic at that time, which yes. is the theater that that. So Del Close worked at Second City for years, off and on. Was fired many times. During one of these firings, mm-hmm. a woman named Sharna Halpern kind of, you know, he was a drug addict for most of his life. So she basically kept him alive, kept him teaching these classes, yeah, and and created this theater around that. And this place was called Cross Currents mm. uh, up on Broadway. And this was like, it was a decent, I mean, even compared to a dive bar, this was pretty much a shitty dive bar. Ooh. Like not not someplace that you would go, yeah, let's go have a drink there. I feel safe. Right. I can have a date and, and yeah, yeah. I eat a sandwich. <laughs> this was just more like, it's, we got drinks. Upstairs was a former dance studio. I don't know what kind of dancing they right, did. Right, right, right. But all I know was that in the classes that I took with Sharna, there were, you know how in dance studios there's glass on the wall yes. so the dancers, dancers can watch themselves. Um, it wasn't on the walls anymore. It was on the floor. And so <laughs> I'm, I know there was one class where Sharna was like, guys, don't act on the side of the theater. <laughs> there's a lot of glass. <laughs> I don't have insurance. Please. And do not incorporate the broken glass into your improv scenes. That's that was the moment when props became out of improv <laughs> for the safety of the class. But I came from Detroit, so it wasn't that I, I was. This is how bad I wanted it. I didn't care. Right. You know what I mean. And yes. we we took we had. They never. I don't ever remember it being cleaned up. The no. glass, you know. Well, and you mentioned drugs earlier. Yeah. And, and that's. Uh, it honestly is a. I think an apt comparison to learning how to improvise and starting to get good at it and a drug addiction. Yes. Because you're starting. It makes you feel good. Yeah. And you. It's like you're learning how to make yourself feel good, but you still got to go to the classes or the shows to get the fix. Yes. You can't sit at your house and like. The Do first it. one is free. Yes. First of all, you know, like you will oh. inter- give you a nice introduction yes. to improv. Yes. And then if you want more, you have to pay for the class. Right. Now, eventually, if you're good and still paying, I will make money off you in the shows as well. Yes. But, but you'll love that. But that's when you become from drug addict to pimp. Yes. You, become, you know, pimp. Uh, yes. And um, so that's a good transition to, you know, obviously you became better, I would guess. Yes. I love doing it. 
I did it. Uh, I was in a group in Sharna's uh, theater. I was with, I was in my first improv group was from our class, and people that you might have heard of from that era. Uh, Lily Taylor yep. was in my group. Oh my goodness. Uh, Andy Dick, I remember. Um, Hard to forget, I would guess. Yeah, he was. He was, and he was, he was funny, man. I still uh, funny. And he's still funny. Yeah, yeah. But yes, there are. Um, Troubles, and there were there were some more people too. Like there's some other people who are now actors. God, I wish I could remember her name right off. But she was on Ellen DeGeneres sitcom, the very first one where she came out. Um, Clea, something. Okay, was she a Chicago actress? She was. I think she was from somewhere else, but she came to Chicago to act, and and then she, and she was just really funny, and <clears throat> she immediately. Uh, when she left to go to L.A., she did great. You know? and, and this is in the probably late 80s, I guess? Yeah, like, yeah, mid, mid-80s. And back then at Second City, again, the, the city is smaller, the community is much smaller than it would be just five, six, seven years ago after you've left for SNL. Mm-hmm. Chicago really took off with improv. You were mm-hmm. You were there in the nascent stages of it. And so I wonder how it worked where you're doing shows at a bar that's not even a, an official theater, how do people see you or become aware of you at Second City? Um, well, like you said, it was a small community. So anything that was happening, you know, uh, they people knew about. Mm-hmm. And our team, Grime and Punishment, was the second Harrow uh, team, house Harrow team, mm-hmm. behind Baron's Barracudas. So... We had like so we were the theater team, you know. We were like the people. We were the fucking shit. If one, if somebody wanted to go see, you know, Dell's improv shows, you would be the ones doing it. We were headlining, yeah. exactly, and um, and so that was basically how Second City probably saw me. But then I took classes at Second City, uh, which helped. Sure, you know? um, they and, become more aware of you that you're literally in the building at that time, right? Yes, and. Um, I took classes with back in those days uh, Don DePolo uh, Jeff Machowski was my first real guru teacher for and, me and he was a performer either at the time or had been yeah. at the ETC theater so he was teaching at Second City then yeah yeah and I, I have to give it up for Jeff man uh, because Jeff I was only took two levels at Second City Michalski was my second level teacher, and he suggested that I audition for the touring company when, when it came up. And was that something you wouldn't have thought of if he didn't suggest it? I didn't think I was, like, in the hierarchy of running for that right, kind right, of right. thing, you know. Uh, so you do, and, and you get into the touring company, I assume? Yes, I did. Um, and what a touring company it was. I, I did one of these with Rose Abdu, who mm-hmm. mentioned some of the people who she toured with, which was some of the crossover of yours. Yeah. And look, Second City is always producing talented people. But I was kind of just looking at the era you were in and kind of the main stage. And mm-hmm. you and Chris Farley and Bob Odenkirk were replaced by Steve Carell, Steve Colbert, and Paul DeNello. <laughs> it's a pretty good run there yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, of people. And so you're touring, uh, I would guess back then, you kind of get hired and are you just immediately on the road touring or? Yes. Yeah. 
just um, I mean first thing was learning the material you know like we had to learn stuff that we didn't we didn't have videotapes of it right so we were learning it from other touring companies you know and so we had videotapes of them you know or we had a videotape of like Toronto doing it yes but the old old stuff was never recorded yes exactly so that was the first part of it was like just learning how to do the old sketches and and it was all it it was kind of funny because it did feel like it was being passed down like from tribe to tribe yeah it's an oral history yes uh, and and so ex- learning the timing for me could be difficult because how want to describe this in a very was that some of the material like I could never really do um, funeral mm. which is a second city scene that, that yes. gets toured and stuff yeah. And it's the scene with the can, the funeral, and the can being the can, uh, can of beans can on of beans. the head. He yes. died with a can of beans on his head. And the whole joke of it is stifling laugh, laughing um, at a premise that the audience is hearing for the first time. But me, as an actor, I've heard it. I know it. It's not funny to me once I already know what it is. <coughs> so maybe the first time I did um, funeral, I did it well. And then every time after that, I just, I didn't do it. I could not recreate. I couldn't recreate it. I, and because I didn't believe it. I didn't, it was weird. I didn't like it. It's interesting. I wonder if it's because you loved improv so much and we're at a point where it's like, I can make up a new scene every time that has this emotional whatever. If you say funeral to me 50 times, I could do 50 funeral scenes that'll be different and interesting to me mm-hmm. each time. Whereas this is maybe your first experience of like, especially with comedy, I think. Because mm-hmm. in my intro, I mentioned how the sets are the most fun for us. Mm-hmm. That's often because you've done, yes, your sketch material brings laughs yeah. guaranteed every time. But it's almost like if you're a comedian and you know the laugh is coming and yeah. it's not a hard laugh to get after a while you're like no I want to earn these yeah. I don't want the intentional walk yeah. pitch to me yeah. and I'll hit it yeah that's I, I know you're saying and I would say too like the only and, and that's why I was saying it's like hard to explain that yeah but like I I dug when I and dug in the past and sure. dig yeah but no I always I, I always dug when we did our own material and we did it every night I love that because it's my own stuff, so I can fuck around yes, with it. Yes, you have ownership. Yes. Whereas with those old classic ones, like if you added something during the thing, they didn't like it, you know? Too much reverence. And yeah. reverence in comedy, not Yeah, good. yeah. You got to be, well, we can get, that's a whole other thing. Well, we'll get, well, I'm sure we'll get talking about that because the, uh, I don't want to jump away from touring too quickly. Do you have any touring, any moment of touring that really stands out to you or... You know, we've all I, heard the, tour, the ski tour falling off cliff stuff. We've almost all done something like that. Yeah, but right. any fun moments of touring? Um, I'll say, like, the very first times, like, driving across country with all of these people, I felt like a hippie for the first time. Like, excuse me. No, no, no. I'm burping. We've, we've got plenty of editing for that. We have a burp button. Um, 
was I felt like a I did I felt like a hippie with like Amy Sedaris there and you know Greg Holloman and, and Jane Lynch um, Faith Soloway um, we all we all got along like it was a fun group of people and um, I'll tell one story that I will I have to live with and Faith Soloway actually told the story and it's not like a funny story but it was a it, it was a lesson learned to me and it also is about what I was trying to say about funeral that sketch too uh-huh. which was the overall thing I was saying about that was that it was a different type of comedy that I liked or liked to perform mm-hmm. so it was like me doing a Mel, a Mel Brooks monologue in the Catskills yes like they're, they're going hey can you do his thing he's not here tonight yep. well no I, I can't because mm-hmm. you know but um, but I learned that that stuff is you know it's people can do it and it's funny and that's their thing. Here's my thing that I learned from touring. That was a lesson that I always I took with me the rest of my career. Uh, I, Faith Soloway and I actually dated when we were on the road. Faith right? Soloway, a musical director at yes, the time, right? Musical yeah, director. She and her sister, they're kind of geniuses, the two of them. Yeah, they're like very very smart, crazy, incredible women. Yes, friends. I love them. We're still friends today. We were dating at the time, and um, they, her, she and Jane Lynch started working on a parody of White Rabbit. The, dun, um, dun, and, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Dun, dun. And they changed, they wanted to make it a parody of the Brady Bunch okay. song, and they wanted to do it, and so they wanted to do it, and they wrote it, and the cast all dug it, and I, I Faith and I were talking and she asked me about it, and I was like, I don't know, I don't, I don't really get it, you know. And she was like, Well, you know, everybody likes it, and I was like, That's cool, you know. And so I was like, You guys do it, and that's fine, you know. I'm, I'll watch or whatever. And so we did it on the road at a college. Jane Lynch walks out with Faith Holloway playing the piano, dun, 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 dun. and she walks out dressed like dun, dun, Alice. Dun, dun. The fucking audience went bat shit, ape shit, fucking crazy. Yes. Go ask Alice. Alice yes. from the Brady Bunch. And again, yeah. everyone should have a cultural reference level to know who that is. But, but this is the point of my story, was that I I did not get it. When she was telling me about it, I was like, I I watched the Brady Bunch, but I wasn't. it wasn't a thing for me, you know? But when I saw that moment, like I was like... People, you don't get everything. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, it's for them. Like, yeah. they, they will tell you what they love or what they don't like or whatever. And I was so fucking wrong about the Brady Bunch song. Not only was I wrong about this song, that it developed into a fucking industry for them. Oh, yes. I mean, that's the thing. So, Jill Soloway, as you, as you mentioned, and... Jane Lynch mm-hmm. later on at the Annoyance Theater did a show called The Real Live Brady Bunch is what you're referring to mm-hmm. it was a huge success uh, I think my ex-wife actually played Cindy Brady in that it, yeah. they went to New York with it yeah. it was a huge deal a lot of people actually from that show ended up on SNL or getting auditions through there and, and it, it brought back the Brady Bunch movie did. they made That's a right. movie about it a movie about it, it because of that and and I think you've just actually given us the genesis of that whole entire scenario <laughs> from your touring. It came out of this little song. Yeah, yeah. And it's also interesting that revelation that you had because if you work at Second City and you've gotten hired, that is that is a 
a sign that you're funny. Mm-hmm. You know, and most of us, I think, when you're funny and you realize you're funny, you kind of think you know everything that's funny, like you said. Exactly, yeah. And, and so we, we at times are, are like, no, I am the arbiter of comedy. Right. So when you come to an idea, not only will I know... It's good. If it's good, yeah. I'll know that... I'll, I can tell you that if everybody will like it. Yes. You know, and it was such... I was such an asshole. And I actually, I heard Faith on a, a, a podcast talk about that story and she said like she she said you know it's like some people didn't understand it or believe in it um, and I, I haven't forgotten that yeah oh and right. I, I I said I said to her like later I was like I know you're talking about me and like I was fucking wrong I was so wrong um yeah man and I learned from that I was like especially like well we can go back you but just, no but just just you saying learning that you were wrong mm-hmm as a human being, a lot of people don't get to that point. So that's, a, in comedy, it's very important to notice that. And that is a Second City lesson where you're working with these different people from mm-hmm. different parts of the country often with different sensibilities. Yeah. You know, you're an African-American from Detroit. Right. Uh, Jill Soloway is from the suburbs of Chicago. Right. And, and and actually, their family history is crazy. Uh, I don't want to, you know, this isn't about that. But they're, they're very disparate. Yeah. And so all these things, and you discover, oh, this is a, a tool in the box that this guy has that I didn't know worked or whatever. Mm-hmm. And also the process, whether you're touring or writing a show, of doing material over and over mm-hmm. again. Right. So you may have a scene that you think is real funny, and the first time out, it's not. Mm-hmm. Now, you may give it up there, or you may adjust it to eventually get it to where you want it. And that's right. a process unlike anywhere else, and I've said it before, I don't understand why this process hasn't become industry standard. Mm -hmm. Obviously, not everyone has the time to do an improv Mm -hmm. set for their show. Right. But trying material out more often almost always yields better results. Yeah. And, yeah, it it does. And also, I would say that about doing the material over and over again at Second City was my, um, you know, my theater Learning, you know, or my theater learning. It was really because I didn't do, I'd never done any plays or anything like that. So I did, I never had to learn something and do it over and over and over again and be fresh and keep it fresh. But like doing that at Second City, I learned, I learned how to do what theater basically is. Yes. You know, repeating it, making it seem live, even though you know it's coming. Yes. And that, and that also translated over transferred and translated over to doing stand up. Yes. Which was like, oh yeah, I gotta pretend that I'm coming up with this for the first time. Every yeah. Time, time. Yes, right. Uh, you're right. Those skills do, and you're also learning how to work with other people and stuff, which yeah. is going to, you know, in this business is going to come into play over and over again. Yeah. And I, I think. Well, we'll get to your main stage days, but I just want to put this out. You know, I, I do feel like the Second City writing a show and everything experience. Now, I haven't worked at SNL, but I know a lot of you do. I've probably, you know, there's a reason they hire so many people out of there because Mm -hmm. beyond the comedy training, it's an environmental training a little bit. It doesn't compare, I'm sure, to the stress of of an SNL writing, Mm -hmm. but a writing process has levels of stress and you kind of prove yourself in that. And so Mm -hmm. if you made it through that, you might be okay for SNL. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, So you... You did a couple shows on the main stage. You toured for a while, and then for a while, had a lot of fun. Yeah. We had a blast. Um, 
Michael McCarthy, I also want to say, was a great, funny dude who sort of was our uh, our glue of mm-hmm. the group, you know? Um, People David have Singer. roles. Yeah. Um, and Michael McCarthy came into the group with, like, this history of, of Second City. So he was a great... He knew all of these old sketches, and he would pull stuff up for us. And so we always had new material to learn because of Michael. And, and uh, just for the record, Michael McCarthy might be the host of this uh, podcast if he had not passed away. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, and, and I'm totally... And, and that's totally, like... When I spoke, uh, you know, to the producer of this about this, he was yeah. talking about Michael McCarthy. And again, for the record, Michael McCarthy has passed away recently. Rest in peace. Yeah. He was married to Susan Messing, who I also was married to at a certain point. So yes. that's that's a little lesson into Second City right there, too. Yeah. And I will just tell you, Michael was he he from a young age met Dell and and some of the Second City producers, mm-hmm. Joy Sloan, be, fell in love with Second City moved to Chicago, l- learned all the archives that you're talking about, right. then ended up writing for SNL and Sesame Street right. before he worked at, at, at Second at City Se- again, yeah. right? And then he came back to Second City to tour and then he joined a touring company. After writing for SNL. Yeah. There's only one other person I know of who went from SNL to Second City, and you also worked with that person, <laughs> which we'll talk yeah. about in a minute. Crazy. Yeah, It is really wild. interesting. So your first show, though... Uh, I believe your first show was a, a con- like a best of show thirty years ago today. Was that 30, were you in that? Yes, it was. No, it wasn't a best of show. Thirty years ago today was. I think that was. Was that Dell's close show? First show, right? I think it was Dell's. Yeah, my first show was Dell. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was. It wasn't. It was the 30-year anniversary okay. of Second City. But it wasn't a retrospective. No, okay. it wasn't. It was all. I think it was 30 years ago today or the gods must be lazy is the title right this was the era of the or yeah <laughs> the Dudley do or what was the guy who created all the Rocky and Bullwinkle I know he's talking about that. all of the titles in that and I, I'm noticing throughout the late 90s uh-huh. just is it Nate Herman was the director yeah Nate was one of the directors Nate yeah. Herman a lot of his titles are double titles uh-huh. such as flag smoking permitted in lobby only or Sensorama yeah which was your second show <laughs> that was the second show so, so let's just go back for a second and talk about 30 years ago today okay. Del Close because he is a iconic figure in Second City and improv and comedy and SNL he mm-hmm. was that guru to that original cast or whatever right. what was it like writing a show for him uh, it was very. It was really good, and I will. T- I, 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 I. I'll tell this story, and I've told it before. And I don't know if you care, but this is what happened: was that Dell put me. I went from touring company to main stage because Dell hired me because he had pro- he there was a mistake had been made, and he said he thought I was going to be. I thought I was going to be in one of his other shows that he was a play that he was writing at the Improv Olympic. I showed up for rehearsal and he was like, no, you're not supposed to be here. So he kicked me out of the rehearsal in front of everybody. Oh, weird. And so later at a uh, hair, uh, the performance night at a Herald, uh, he came up to me at the bar and said, um, I don't want, I didn't have anything for you in this show, but the next time I direct a show, I'm definitely gonna put you in it. And I said, thanks, man. And then he did that, and then he was hired by Second City to do the main stage show. And then he asked them 
he wanted total control over the cast. So it was his next show after Honor Finnegan, and he hired me for main stage off of that prom. He said, remember when I right. promised you? Yes. So that's, actually that works out well for you because Honor Finnegan, uh, which was an improv Olympic <clears throat> show, was, mm-hmm. I'm sure, a very funny show, but none of those actors were paid. <laughs> <laughs> so you went to an equity job. Uh, he gave you an equity yes. job <laughs> instead of, and, and, and also Lauren Michaels wasn't necessarily going to honor Finnegan <laughs> to find people. So yeah, he did you a so favor there. Did. It was, but that was three years before Lauren Michaels ever came out. Sure. Well, but still. Yeah, um, it got you onto that thing. And, 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 did. and, and again, I don't know. I mean, Second City's in a transition now, so no one has any idea, yeah. but it seemed less and less over the years that something like what happened to you or even what happened with Farley, which was not long after you, where yeah. Dell just decides, this guy's ready, I'm bringing him here. Yeah. And there's line jumping, and I'm sure through the history of Second City that's been an issue, because there's always people who are funny there, right. and there are always people who get the job, and there are people who don't get the job. Yeah. And there's just, you know, there's always going to be that tension. Yeah, and... I will say that Farley and I got bumped up to main stage at the same time. Oh, okay. Dell did. He the, brought you both he together. He brought us both together with Pasquazi <laughs> and Joel, uh, uh, Holly Wartell, Judy Scott, Joe Liss. Yes. I believe that yes. was the first cast. Uh, Good memory. Thanks. And then we, we, we bonded and had a great time. It was a really good cast. Uh, and then that, that experience of writing with Dell is I was very nervous because we would improvise at the end of the show and then take whatever we was good and we bring it back and he would tell us what he liked and blah, blah, blah. And so it was the first time that I'd ever written a show where we chiseled the thing. Yeah. And it so it took a few, you know, over a few, six months or I don't know how long it was. Ooh, that's... It was kind of long. Yeah. It was a little bit... And then at a certain point, though, Dell said... Uh, I, I think I'm finished directing this. And they brought in Shel- Sheldon. Sheldon? Yeah. yeah. And he looked at it and, and sort of just put some finer touches on like the ending song and the relationship scene between uh, Holly and uh, Pasquazi. Smoothed uh, out some edges. Yeah, basically. And it, it, it's funny because it did become much more uh, formalized as the years went on. When I was doing a process, they'd lay out, you have this many weeks, mm-hmm. and then your opening is here. Yeah. But in, in those days, Dell, who again, I mean, was a improviser in every sense of the word. Yeah. Every day was an improvisation for him. Yeah. Uh, so so he has no end goal. No. And he he just came in one day and just said, "I'm done." Basically, <laughs> <laughs> after six months with no indication that it's going to be done. No, like we didn't know it was a peak or that there was like final notes. He was just like, "Ah, yeah, this is uh, I'm finished. <laughs> I got nothing else to say." You guys, you, we talked about this and you got that topic covered and you got your seeds and. I, um, I'm, 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 and they were just leaving somebody else comes to clean it up. Yeah, like, yeah. like you know, you guys will be fine. I don't even know if he came to opening night. <laughs> I really don't. I don't think he came, man. Well, uh, he again, that's a guy who doesn't necessarily care for the product as much as the process. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and putting you through that process. Six months is a long time for a process. I, I, I'm just guessing that it was that long. But it, but it really, again, it doesn't matter because you're honing those skills. Yeah. 
And those skills are going to be with you forever and are going to work on a tight deadline, too. Here's what that show did. It made, it made us work harder at getting the actual show better while it was on its feet. So that show was not like it wasn't a great reviewed show. But if you came back after six months, that show was funny as fuck, man. People should have done that all the time at Second City. Yeah. Re-review a show four or five months after. Yeah. When it's become a different show in some ways. Yeah. Sometimes the the situation of the world changes like, oh, this scene's not relevant. Yeah. Anymore because of this situation. And so you switch stuff up. You're, you're improvising, again, on the fly. Yeah. Um, and I'll say like the second show, I don't know if you're moving on to the second no, show. No, I, I was about to. Oh. The second show... Bring your... You're good with the mic. Okay, good. Um, and then the next show that I did was directed by Nate Herman. Nate Herman. That's the Or Sensorama. Yeah. And that... I'd have to say, you know, I love Dell and I love, you know, what he did to my life. But it, like in my second city journey, the next two shows were... I had a lot more fun writing and performing. Now, do you think some of that was your... you? gained experience yes and some of it was also a different director both bringing out different things both things and I like from Dell it was more improv based and more like you more like you do you can do whatever like crazy thing you want or you want to explore like in Dell show me and Farley did a thing where we were in women's underwear and on stage in a blackout because there had been a painting about of Harold Washington in an art institute yeah. where he was painting in yeah. brassiere and panties. And so me and, it was like the debate of, you know, mayor or a debate of, you know, here's our two, and then the lights would come up and it'd be me and Farley standing in women's underwear. And then people would go, Wah! and then they would just turn lights the lights out. off. And uh, my favorite moment of that thing was before that scene, because when you write it and you get these big laughs in the very beginning, it's fun. Six months down the line, you're like, I don't want to put on panties and bra. Because it takes here. eight minutes for you to change out of your outfit into the panty and yeah. bra. And the, and the laugh ain't worth it anymore. It, it's not. And, the, you know, and so uh, anyways, like when, uh, like three months or four months into it, like we would be getting, me and uh, Chris would be getting dressed backstage and we'd be like, God, put on his bra and panties. And, uh, <laughs> and then Joe walked by us one day and he goes, panty up, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Take your eight minutes to get changed for your 30 seconds of laughter. <laughs> he goes, panty up, boys. Panty up. We laugh so fucking hard, man. When the lights came up on stage, we were laughing. Absolutely. You know, in, in, um, and it's one of those things, too, that uh, Farley, God love him, would say to me years later, panty up, boys. This is, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to pay, uh, let's all give our money, like, for whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, um. So that, that started out right there in, in, in that, in that back of that room, uh, or in the backstage area. Yeah. And, and again, I'm going to sound like an old man here. And I don't, again, I don't know what it's like now, but if I were working at Second City, I would eliminate cell phones backstage with the actors. Because mm -hmm. as you described, the best bonding of a cast and I don't know, I don't care about the material and everything, mm -hmm. but the feeling of a cast, it, I think, is forged backstage during other people's scenes. Yeah, I you, agree. you know, when I mean, it's like, yeah, 
like someone's out there for eight minutes and you got nothing really to do but eight minutes of whatever. Yeah, just you and someone yes. backstage by yourself. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I think it might be too easy now to turn to your phone for that. Yeah. Now, one other thing I want to ask uh, about that, that show, Flag Smoking Permitted, was this the show with Odenkirk? Uh, or was that the next one? The flag Smoking, that was the next one. Okay. With, with, uh, Where yeah, Bob Tom, came in. Bob came in, that was with Tom Giannis. Okay, so that was But let me just one. say this really quick about sure. the Nate Herman show. Is that it It was a good combination of me. I learned about writing and improvising together. Nate sort of taught us that you can write ideas outside of it, take it in, improv it on stage. Don't worry about learning the lines. Just do it on stage like we've talked about, and it'll be okay. And I love Nate Herman. I loved making him laugh because he had this laugh like... Uh, like a cartoon character like it's so funny his laugh but he was such a huge influence on me and during those years where it was like you can be silly you can also be angry and you can you can also like hate things but you don't have to tell the audience that you hate them but not the audience but did you hate that topic or whatever but you can hate stuff and let it out on stage. But you got to be smart about it. Um, and my favorite thing, Nate's story, was the whale boy sketch. Oh, please. I have it written down here because yeah. I read something about it. Yes. Go and tell me about whale boy. Well, whale boy, we went to Joy Sloan's, uh, had a house over in Michigan, and she gave it to the cast, the main stage cast, for like a night. Like, Sunday night, you guys are off going over there. Over the weekend. Yes. Have a nice time. Bring some beers. So we went over there, and Joel Murray made some tea with uh, mushrooms in it. And we all got stoned. And it's wintertime, and we're out on the iced Lake Michigan. Farley is, like, jumping over these mounds of snow with a shirtless. <laughs> and then we all, because we're tripping, start playing this scene out where we're hunting for this whale boy. And Joe Liss named him Whale Boy. And then we all started playing these roles of like who we were. Like I'm Two Whale Boy. Yes, two Whale Boy. How were we all related? And because we were tripping again, we did it for probably twelve hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we went to sleep. Alright, now I am going to sleep. I'm Captain Johnson. And the well boy will sleep next to me. It was like we never stopped Broke the down. fucking. So we get it. We try to improvise it on stage because we're all going. It's so funny. It's so funny. We improvise. We can't do it. It's not because it's everybody's crazy mushroomed dream. Nate Herman took individually set us all down by himself and asked us the story of what happened that night. And then he took all of our mushroomed remembrances right. of that and wrote Whale Boy. Like, just wow. wrote it all out. Wrote the song. Wrote everything. That, that you know... Genius, man. He was it's genius. gotta be, because I, I've i tried to do what you guys kind of stumbled on. Yeah. Where I've been in a group and we were like, hey, let's take mushrooms and film us doing a Herald. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, by the time it starts, the guy who brought the mushrooms is a half hour into it. The camera never starts. People disappear, and the day goes on. Yeah. And it never happens. Yeah. So to actually have an idea that is... And a lot of ideas are funny when you're tripping. Yeah. But to be able to piece all those stories together and yeah. put... It, that, that really is a an art 
of of enormous proportions to take adult stories and yes. make, and then make a scene which is famous out, you know mm-hmm. out of it and a character that's famous and everybody got to that's a rare story you yeah. know I think that's a story that people want to think happens all the time yeah but it doesn't but no nobody no. It, yeah that's that's the exception that prove that proves the rule. <laughs> But that's my that's my favorite. I mean, I, yeah, Nate Herman was great, and that shows again a cast that is willing to go do dr- like trip together. Yeah, that's a bonding thing that that you know again. Yeah. We all did it too. Like everybody that's in Well Boy tripped. I think yeah. even Judy Scott. I know Judy tripped. Everybody <laughs> tripped yeah. that night. That so is. I mean, was, that's you must love each other again. I, I think doing psychedelic drugs with people is a sign of trust. Yeah. Or a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say bad idea yeah, yeah. for you kids. Yes, kids. For all the kids listening to the Second Citizens podcast. Uh, so, you wrote the shows, uh, and Odenkirk comes Odenkirk, in. Odenkirk, yeah. I just want to talk about that a little bit, because yeah. again, Odenkirk's contributions while he was at Second City, I think are pretty formidable, even though he was there for a short time, if only because the motivational speaker scene mm-hmm. is one of the most famous scenes in SNL history. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if everyone knows, but that was a Second City scene, almost like verbatim. Word for word, basically. Word and that happens, again, very rarely. Occasionally, yeah. a character or a scene will make it, especially a character, perhaps. But the whole scene, uh, just let's go into a little bit about the show process with Odenkirk. Tell me any any thoughts or observations about that time. Well, things I remember about that time was <clears throat> Tom Giannis was the director who I'd not met before. I had, I had no idea who he was, and um, he was coming in and he was bringing Odenkirk with him. That, and I think that was part of the deal. Okay. For them. And again, it seems like at that time the directors had a little bit of that. You come in and they and the director says, "I want my people," mm-hmm. and Second City seemed to be down with it. Yeah, and I think. Um, Odenkirk had a certain amount of time off also, uh, so that he had time to write the show, open it, and then he was going to be leaving, you know? Yeah. yeah. And wasn't coming back, basically. So... It was a one-shot deal. And everybody... There were some unhappy people that that happened, because he basically came in through... He didn't do touring company, he didn't do anything. So, so So it was a little rough in the beginning... And then we had to like improvise with them too, which was not we didn't had never improvised with them before, and um, I got along with them great in the beginning, and so did Farley, and we we and eventually people all they all opened up to the idea. It takes a while, yes. But Odenkirk came in with ideas. He came in with strong ideas, and yeah, obviously. Um, you know, motivational speaker was the number was the one. He and um, oh, the other one that he wrote for me that was really funny was uh, he wrote this one where it was um, Mary and Barry, Washington D.C. Mayor. Yes, uh, and Farley and Odenkirk were FBI agents, and they and Jill Talley was uh, agent or, or a hooker or something, and they wanted to get me, Mary and Barry, on tape. Uh, doing crack and so <laughs> which the actual Marion Barry had been caught doing yes. so yes and Odenkirk said that he the joke the thing he told us what the joke of what but it's Marion Barry so he uh, she goes hey Mayor you want to you want to do some uh, crack 
And he goes, yeah, let's do some crack, baby. Like, he does it right off the bat. Like, no, <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's no waiting. And then they, they run back over to her and they're like, wow, that was really quick. Um, well, we got time to kill. Um, why don't you ask them to do like a, a German accent or something? Hey, baby, you want to do a German accent? Yeah. You know, whatever it was. So Barry and Barry's down for whatever. Yes. Yes. Um, and I forgot what the blow was. <laughs> I forget, like the actual ending of the scene. But it killed every night. It was one of those scenes yeah. that killed. And Odenkirk came in with that basically written. And that's, you know. that's you know, and I think that's very different from what a typical process is where a person comes in guns loaded with some sketches written. Especially because yeah. the process generally, coming from Dell, mm-hmm. is so improv-based. Mm-hmm. Obviously, these scenes are classics, so there's no harm in coming in with a fully realized scene. Yeah. Which is another lesson, I think, maybe, that it doesn't all have to be one way. No, it, you're right. I mean, I mean, but then again, that's what you're sort of learning when you work with a group of people. Yes, it's like you, you got people work differently. You know, like and the one thing with the improv, like bringing a guy like Odin Kirk just out of nowhere, and I'm sure he's a very you know capable improviser and stuff. He's a funny guy. Right. He understands you know like how plot works and stuff. Right. But it's a language that everybody speaks and you know if he's a Castilian and you're all speaking regular Spanish there's mm-hmm. still a little bit of a time to get re- used yeah. to that list <laughs> yeah. uh, so so there are language things even within how you work that yeah. may have been a problem but it seems like it was a very popular show people got through those things Yeah, it's hard not to unless someone's a complete sociopath to spend six months working closely with someone and not at least be friendly yes. if they're not awful. Yeah, and I would say, like, by the end, you know, that run of that show, like, we all got along great. I, Tim O'Malley was in that show, um, and, and uh, who, else, who else was there? Uh, I think it was Tim and, well, right there, you got yeah, Chris, yeah. Jill, Bob. Pasquazi. And Holly Wartell. Yeah, um, and but it was a really good cast, and I'd, I'd say, like, of the improvising groups that I've like been in, it was the best group of improvisers. Farley is like in a, in a one in one group. Yeah, he sp- he again. I I did one freeze tag with him, and he picked me up over his head very easily. Mm-hmm. And that that's my experience with Chris Farley on yeah. the stage. But again, everyone in Chicago then before he passed away, he was he was legendary as an improviser. He was funny, and I have to tell you, in uh, is that. Jill, uh, Judy Scott, I have to say though, had the funniest uh, freeze tag with Farley in it that I have ever seen. And I don't even do freeze tag anymore because I was like, it's every freeze has been done. Yeah, it, somebody Farley was on his back after you know, like laying on his back on this on the stage, and somebody was standing over him or they were away from him. She tagged the person that was away from him out. And then she swam, and then she laid on top of him, and she goes, oh, man. It was a man. He was an island. Yes. We, heads were exploding. Yeah. We were, we, nobody, and she hated freeze tag. Right. She would just stand in the back of the line and just watch until we all, you know. It was so funny, man. I, I, it was a genius. And that, you describe the genius as improvisation, because she wouldn't have gone out there without complete inspiration. Yeah. That wasn't like, oh, I gotta go out and do this. That's her seeing it, identifying it, mm-hmm. being inspired, mm-hmm. and and again, 
if you see that as a scene, actually that would work as a blackout in Second City too. Yeah, with just him there yeah. with him. But if you if you like when you're in the moment and you've actually seen the genius of the person coming up with the idea, mm-hmm. I think that is part of what makes improv as a live spectacle you know so yeah. connected with the audience yeah. is that we see the decision being made yes. and and applaud it yeah all right so and Judith Scott I have a hard time tracking her down I, I want would love is she in LA does she, does she yeah she is in LA okay. I'll and get yeah, her at some point it's so funny because during the quarantine me and my kids been watching movies and then every once in a while she should I'll, she'll be in a movie like she played Denzel's Denzel Washington's ex-wife in that movie he did with Jared Leto just recently just recently oh, yeah alright well good yeah she has like this one long scene with Denzel Washington oh my god and I was sitting there watching it with my son and I go oh my god <laughs> go, I know her I get to get all excited Tim shit. Meadows Tim Meadows <laughs> I know her I do I love when I see my friends working yes I get, especially if I don't know about well, it well and it's so yeah. great I mean if you see Adam Sandler working it's not as big a surprise yeah, perhaps right. <laughs> like guy, like, kids I know him yeah that's yeah. Adam yeah we yeah. know dad uh, all right, so now you've done your time at Second City. We're at your third show. Right. And and I was reading a little bit. Did Farley go to SNL before you? Yes. What was the process of that? Yeah. So I know Lauren came to see you guys. Yeah, he came. they came and saw all of us. Like, over a period of, like, a year. They came back, and then some other people came. Yeah, producers. And the last time they came, my favorite time was... Uh, this is a Jim Downey, yes, Marcy, Marcy Klein, Michael Shoemaker, Lorne. and then um, we were we had an improv set. And here's a lesson for you kids out there: when they came to see us the last time, and I knew it was Lauren Michaels and all those guys. When I was getting dressed for the show, I thought to myself, "This tonight is not my night. Tonight is Chris's night. So I'm going to try to make him look good." And I'm going to try to make him laugh. And I'm going to try to have fun. And that's just going to be it, you know. So we do the show. We have fun. Chris, we highlight Chris. Improv set is hot. We all, we highlight all of Chris's stuff. Uh, we go backstage after the show. And Lauren is talking. Jim Down, You know, Jim Downey's like sitting on the stairs near, near the stage. I'm sitting down on the couch. And I'm just sort of watching and stuff. And then I look over at Jim Downey standing up there. And he's just like staring at me. And I just go, hey. And he smiles, and you know. And then Lauren goes, we're going to take you all out to dinner or lunch or drinks or whatever. And we all go off for drinks after the show. And then Downey comes over and talks to me and asks me about, like, you know, improv that you did. And who uh, whose idea was this? Or what was blah, blah, blah. And I would just tell him, like, oh, yeah, well, that was me and, seeing me and Chris had thought of one day. We did, we improvised, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, that's another thing that Chris and I, like, you know, yeah, yeah. together and whatever. But that's Chris's idea. He asked me to help him do it, you know. And that was my conversation with Downey after that, right? So Chris gets hired, and then the same time that he got hired, I got calls from New York from, like, Michael Shoemaker and other people, you know, saying, Jim Downey really liked you. He thinks you're – he thinks you could be a good writer, um, let us if you get another if somebody offers you a job let us know uh, because we might be bringing you on before the end of the season and so it was like I went into that evening not wanting anything 
You know what I mean? Because if I would have wanted it, I would have been like, yeah, I'll enter the scene. Yeah. You know, I would have been like, but it, I, my whole thing, I was like, it's not my turn. I'm gonna, something will happen for me eventually, but right now, my man, they're here to see my man. And desperation is no way to go into improv. Uh, like, yeah. And, and again, Fine. describing you, what you have described is what Dell would would ask for everyone to go into an improv mm-hmm. scene or scenario wanting. I want to make my castmates look good. Yep. I want to make my castmates laugh, which is kind of all of our ultimate goal. Yeah. When you when you respect your cast, they are your muse, mm-hmm. and you're just looking to entertain mm-hmm. them. <laughs> and when you entertain the cast. These are funny people you're entertaining. Yes. So goddamn, you're going to entertain the audience. Yes, exactly. And and and, and fun is all it. You know, it's it's like when a basketball team it's showtime. Like their scoring, their exuberance is is contagious. Mm-hmm. And you did that on that night. Yeah. And luckily, those guys are smart enough to to figure that out. Well, I'll tell you. Also, Farley and I had a running sort of like story lesson about life that we both uh, he told me about it and then we always reminded each other of this and the lesson that we learned was there is no moment that you aren't prepared for one but also you can't take it too seriously and this was the moment that he was telling me about and we laughed about it was that he was doing an improv show that was a competition thing that was like a talent thing where Casting people were watching a bunch of Chicago improvisers do shit. Backstage, Chris is with this guy who we knew. And Chris said that he was just like, guys better not get in my way, you know? He was like Larry Bird at the All-Star game, <laughs> like three point. Yeah, like, who's, who's gonna coming? finish that? Yes. And so Farley, this is our, so me and Farley used to do this all the time where we'd go. Oh man, tying up his shoes, yeah. This shit gonna be funny at night. <laughs> and we were just like, and so there was times like where we would, it would just be me, you know, he and I, where we were thinking, you know, where we were just making each other laugh, yeah. where it's like, okay, yep, this is it. Tying up my shoes, man, we going into battle, you know. I'm and gonna pretend to be a whale later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like as if you're Pit, Pippin and, and Jordan. Yeah, you're but it's going like, to- but the thing, lesson was, was like, there, it's not important. Like you're getting, you're getting all. He was getting all excited about being seen by some casting people in Chicago, and it's like, no, dude, there's gonna be some other things that you need to lace up your shoes for. Yeah. This is not it. Yeah, and and again, going into it with that attitude, I'll make I'll make the sports analogy again. Michael Jordan, nobody played harder than him. Right. Nobody loved playing basketball more than Michael Jordan. Yeah. That's why he played hard. Yes, he wanted to win and everything, but when he was out on the court, it was joy. When mm-hmm. Farley is on the stage with an audience, any of us really, yeah. it's the joy yeah. of, of doing what we love and getting a little appreciation for it. Yeah. That is enough. Now, the money you need eventually and all that stuff too. Yeah, but again, that is why it is successful. Now, basketball, obviously, you might need a little bit more strategy and, and, and things going in there with comedy. But I think the basic thing is the same. When it is hard work that is oppressive, you're going to create an environment that is harder to succeed in. Yeah, that's true. 
lot of lessons uh, yeah. that you guys uh, learned. All right, well, we've we've gotten through all that <coughs> stuff, and we got you to SNL, which is really where this story. You know, you'll have to do another podcast to pick up after that. The SNL podcast. Yeah, sure, I'm sure they've. How I'm, did you get here to SNL? Yes, I wonder if people are interested in SNL as a podcast. You should I'm do that. Yes. You should. <laughs> you probably are. You should do that podcast, but with a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> a completely different person. Yeah, just change the shirt, put the mustache, and we're here with Tim Meadows. Yes. Uh, I understand a less handsome version of me did one with you earlier. Yeah. All right, so now that we've gotten through all your the history of Tim Meadows at Second City, I'm just going to ask you a couple kind of random questions. All right. There is one note that I wrote down early on when you mentioned a sandwich. Uh-huh. I noticed that a sandwich is a part of your comedy language. It you, is. You, you sang, sandwiches making out there. Uh, the story of your brother and sandwich. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I, I was just thinking, that, too, I, I have this sketch that I wrote that is about a guy who is, like, trying to adopt an animal because he's going to eat it. But he calls it sandwich during his, like, he, he makes a mistake and calls it sandwich, like, in love. By, oh, you said I'm going to name you sandwich. You're going to name it sandwich? Why? Oh, not, no, no, no reason. <laughs> He's, he's adopting animals to eat them. I like yeah, that. but sandwich is I, it's so funny because yeah, sandwich yeah, it's, came. It's part of your it's part of your comedy language. Yeah, it is. Now we've mentioned we talked a little bit about Michael and we and we talked about Chris Farley and everyone talks about Chris. I, I, if, do you have any Craig Taylor stories? Because Craig Taylor is somebody who we lost this past year, um, yeah. and honestly, Craig died early on in the um, in the pandemic, pandemic yeah. and he probably is glad he did because he would not have wanted to go through the pandemic not going to work or anything yeah. and he got out early so Craig's probably happy but Craig is a friend of both of ours he worked for 35 40 years on the main stage as the yeah. as the stage manager literally no one has seen more improvisation than that guy yeah. you can't no one can make a claim even yeah. like teachers and stuff yeah. he has seen thousands and thousands no wonder he's dead and all really good people yes he's, he's seen the best improv he has he has seen a little bit of bad improv because you can't see any improv without seeing some bad improv right. but yes you're if it wasn't such good improv he probably would have died a lot sooner yeah <laughs> <laughs> do you have any craig taylor stories um I, I, you know, I loved Craig. You're right. And my, I have a picture of Craig and, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jack. McBrayer? Yeah, Jack McBrayer. Yeah. At the, um, at the 50th? The 50th anniversary. And it's a picture of Craig showing Jack something on his phone and Jack looking at him as if, like he's the most disgusting human being ever. <laughs> It was probably a picture of his toes or something. No, I think it was just it was just maybe a picture, but he was doing the face for me yes, while taking the picture. The they have um, a weird relationship, Jack, and well, and, not yeah, anymore. But, but yes, they um, to because Jack McBrayer is so wonderful and so uh, uh, courteous to everyone in his world, everybody except Craig Taylor. Yes. And that is what was funny. Yes. Because he would, Craig would talk to him and he would go, why don't you shut the fuck up? Craig's the Craig. only person he is publicly mean to. Now, Jack, to be fair, is privately mean to yes. a lot of people. If I talk to him on the phone, yeah, he'll tell me, he'll be like, 
you should be rich. I'm like, yeah, it's so, it is so great being rich. Wow. I'm like, I'm sure, Jack, I'm sure it is. He calls me sir. Like, yeah. Yeah, whenever I talk to him, he's still sir. He doesn't call me that. Yeah. Uh, he's a good guy. All right. I hired more. him. I just want to say before every, before all this. You were on Jack McBrayer before other people. I hired him for the industrial thing that I did a long time ago. Oh. Okay. You, anyway. you got an eye for talent, Tim. Thank you. I know that. All right. So I'm just going to ask you a couple more. Uh, these are kind of standard Second City questions. Do you consider the Second City a sketch theater or an improv theater? Um, I consider it a s- improv theater. Okay. Yeah, I do. I mean, because the sketches that you see are from improv. So for, yeah, for them, unless Odenkirk brought them in. Yeah. Uh, and that was a one-time deal. All right. And now I mentioned before. Uh, both uh, we've done only a few episodes, and I like to ask people who, if you have like a you know an improv hero, somebody who you watched uh, improvising, right? Either before your time, during your time, after your time, like where where who would you say is kind of your favorite improviser? For the record, you've already been mentioned as someone's favorite <laughs> improviser, and I also want to say that's nice. I've known you for a long time. You came in, and we did, we've done a lot of shows after you came to the main stage. You and I did some shows for mm-hmm. a while. I learned a lot about your improv history before. Honestly, you know, I had known of you before I met you. You're Tim Meadows and we're on SNL. And we did these improv shows and you were always a great improviser. Mm -hmm. And I always kind of wondered, partially because of my snobbery as an improviser, like, where did Tim, how did Tim get to be a good improviser spending all, I didn't think SNL gave you improv skills necessarily, Mm -hmm. but learning about all the stuff you did before and the years of, now it all makes sense. Yeah. You're not a genius, you just practiced a lot. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just like Jordan. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but but it's interesting to find out how steeped in it you really were all these years, and and now that explains why you're such a natural improviser, so. Okay, well, let me just say this, is that I will say improv saved my life, literally. It saved my life after I got divorced. Oh, yes. And for me to get, in in order for, I had I needed to get back out and get normal and to work and get my shit together, and I will say that like, and 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 he's probably my favorite too. Um, I, my friend I had a discussion with about getting my shit together, and he and he, and he was telling me like get back out there, go do improv at Improv Olympic, go do you know, and so I started going out and doing it, um, and. I started meeting everybody and I started reconnecting with people again and I started like wanting to go out and everything and it was uh, and then that that person was David Pasquese. Okay. Castmate of yours. Yes. And he is by far the most amazing improviser I've ever seen and worked with. And there's people that like I love. Like I love Besser, Matt Besser, one of my favorite people to work with. Um, Farley was amazing improviser. You're great. You know, Brad was great. But he's an actor. Pasquazi is like acting on stage, right? Like when you look at it, I mean, I I say this as a compliment. Yes. Like it's like another, it's like another level of improv. And it's, and I'm telling you kids out there, it's not like the shit that you guys do at whatever theater you've been doing it at. He's acting, he's in the moment. He's letting time pass. He's not afraid of the silences. No. Him and, and TJ, they, uh, they're they the same. And so 
it's a great combination of the stuff that we used to do when we first started where it was like you got to be poetic you got to be don't be afraid of the silence you got to respect the other person you got to respond to what you hear and feel and it's also funny and can be really quick and they those two guys do it all yes so i'm going to say those two guys together yes tj and dave tj and dave but dave is by far, I think, like just brilliant. And, and brilliant. I always think Dave, I consider Dave Pasquazzi to be the purest distillation of what Del Close wanted improvisation to be. Yeah. He wanted it to be theater, theatrical, real, truth and comedy. Right. He wanted the comedy to come out of that. I do remember you were talking about the the, the weird, funny scene and everything and and crazy stuff with Dell, and mm-hmm. I had I got to take a few, you know, a couple years of classes with him, and, and he didn't like funny, and mm-hmm. he would say to us, he'd go, anybody can be funny, and he would take his teeth out of his mouth and just go, I'm funny, I'm funny with his teeth, <laughs> and, and I saw him do it twice. The first time shocked the shit out of everybody. Yeah. Uh, the second time shocked the shit out of everybody except me, who had seen it before. Um, but Pasquazzi, it's all integrity. Mm-hmm. And I say that as a compliment, even though I personally have a little different philosophy about improv that I like to jab him about. Mm-hmm. But you're right. If you're looking for someone who's pure, mm-hmm. kind of like Ted Williams was a pure hitter, mm-hmm. Pasquazzi might be your pure improviser. Yeah. Like a beautiful, it's just beautiful to watch him. And, and, the, and I think if you were to distill it to one skill, patience. You said he takes pauses. Yeah, he's which is having being fearless basically on stage and like I don't he doesn't care. No. And my, the other thing too is that my this my and now I'm sure yeah. wrapping up. But my favorite Pasquazzi story was um, one of them uh, was we were in Second City on the main stage and David, even though he loves performing, he hates the audience and he hates for whatever reason he hates human beings sitting in the audience. Well, this one night, the guy there was a guy in the front row of Second City who decided to have his feet on stage during the show. So the first couple people came backstage, and I think it was Holly and, and you know, um, and she goes, "There's a guy on stage, stage left. He won't take his feet off the stage." And another scene went out. Somebody came back and goes, "This guy's back on his feet on the stage, on stage left." Blah blah blah. Pasquazzi goes out to do his um, scene with Odenkirk or whatever. Lights go off. All of a sudden, you hear, "Oh no! Somebody kicked me!" <laughs> the lights come up. Pasquazzi's gone. The guy in the front row's got his leg. He's going, "Oh my god! Someone kicked me!" He ran off the stage. Pasquazzi kicked the shit out of the guy's leg during the lights out, and, and then got off stage. Just got off stage. It was just so brilliant. It was so funny. Had to be quick too. He he was. He, it was. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> it was brilliant. I love David. I love all him. right. That's a great story. Yeah. And these have all been great stories. And Tim, uh, you're right. We are wrapping up. I want to thank you so much. I also just want to mention, I said I've done shows with Tim. When he came and did an improv set at the Second City, uh, he get, came back a couple times. We started doing shows. Brad, Morris, myself, and right. Tim at I.O. And then, like you said, you were getting out there. You were writing your stand-up material, which yeah. you're now doing. And we went on tour with you for a couple of years, and you basically subsidized uh, my move to Los Angeles in my first couple of years here. So I thank you very much for You're that. You're welcome. And Tim Meadows, SNL star, Hollywood star, 
on these gigs that we did, split these gigs. This has to be mentioned. Split these gigs three ways three between ways. me, Brad, and you. Exactly. And I swear, no one booked Brad Morris or Joe Canale <laughs> with Tim Meadows on the side. So thank you for that, Tim. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us and talking about Second City. And, uh, you know, I hope to see you now that we're out and about and vaccinated yeah. much, much more. All right. Love you, man. Love you, too.